Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Small Council Radio. So, uh, tonight we're going to be finishing up the Targaryen uh, faction. With uh, Tonight we're going to be talking about the commanders and their tactics cards. We'll briefly go over the tactics deck just for context. Um, and that will kind of conclude the Targaryens. And then we'll be uh, on our way to do the last faction, which is neutrals. Um, I'm super excited to get through tonight's, uh, you know, portion of the faction. Uh, there's a couple things I really don't care for, but more, there's a ton that I absolutely love about this, this tech or like these commanders in particular over a lot of other factions. And that's not, it's not even, uh, that much to do with the fact that they have a fourth card that you put in there. Uh, to replace another one. It's just it's just the way they play. I absolutely love a lot about the commanders for the Targaryens. Um, with that said, and before we jump right into this, I want to um, thank uh, Craig for being on tonight uh, to fit, uh, round off this uh, topic. Absolutely. Awesome. So I think uh, we'll jump right into the the hottest topic, I think, or at least arguably the second, uh, you know, hottest topic for commanders for the Targaryens, and we'll talk about uh, the Mother of Dragons. So, um, Mother of Dragons, she, uh, her commander card gives Heir of House Targaryen and Mother of Dragons. Both are innate abilities that can never be taken away. Uh, the first one is uh, when she is destroyed, she grants two additional victory points. And the one is once per game at the start of any turn, you may search your tactics deck or discard pile for one of her commander cards and add it to your hand and then shuffle your tactics deck. Um, and like we've been doing, uh, I'm going to just go over her tactics cards and we'll talk about each commander as a whole um, uh, together. Uh, so... She also has Mother of Dragons uh, additional special rules card. Your army must include Drogon, Rhaegal, and Viserion, and reduce the cost of each of these units by one. And they cost eight. So by doing this, you'll have to run three dragons at seven points each, um, which can seem like a downside, but, uh, I mean, they're, they're amazing at eight points, let alone you're incentivizing taking all three and then at a discount. Uh, her first tactics card, Dracarys. When Dracarys, uh, sorry, when Danny's unit activates, instead of performing an action, target one friendly Drogon, Rhaegal, or Viserion unit in short range. It performs one melee attack action. And then, uh, additionally, at the bottom, it, it tells you that before the game begins, remove the overrun tactics card from the tactics deck and replace it with this card. Um, and then just a second for the other two for some reason it like chopped them off in the in the middle and the other cards are like at the opposite end of my uh taxes cards here all right so her other three cards are uh first of the three is dragon's flight when an enemy ends a move in short range of danny's unit one friendly drogon regal or viserion unit may perform one maneuver action or it should say, sorry, it doesn't say may, but obviously if you didn't want to do it, you wouldn't play the card. Um, next one is Promise of Fire. 
When an enemy NCU activates, if that NCU claims his own this activation, attach this card to one enemy combat unit. They suffer one panic test. If they are destroyed by this test or by a Drogon, Regal, or Viserion unit while this card is attached, gain one victory point. If one of your dragon, uh, if one of your Drogon, Regal, or Viserion units is destroyed, remove this card from your opponent and gain one victory point. Uh, and then lastly, arguably, I think the best uh, of all of her cards, which they're all great, but is uh, Fire Made Flesh. When an enemy attacks a friendly Drogon, Regal, or Viserion unit, after rolling defense dice, the defender only suffers one wound for every two unblocked hits. Uh, I mean, I think it's without a doubt, you know, it's easy to to see why she is so good. Um I know she has, it's important to note about her abilities, the innate uh, abilities, that they can never be taken away. That is a good and a bad thing. Um, it's good in the sense that you can always ensure that you can do the Mother of Dragons once per game to get any uh, a card from anywhere. Uh, the I think more important than any is getting that uh, Fire Made Flesh when Dragon is close to dying. Um, you know, it's the start of any turn, so it could be your opponent's turn, and they're about to finish off your dragon, and that could be the clutch, uh, you know, thing that you need to do, So, and they can't turn this off. Then again, their other ability, which is granting two extra victory points, you also can't turn off. Um, I mean, there's been plenty of times where I've seen someone accidentally turn off Rickon and then kill the unit, and then Rickon... Uh, give an extra, or not give the extra victory point. Now, this was, I believe, before in 1.6. I don't think Rickon's ability was innate. Uh, I think, I believe they're all innate now. All the ones that give extra victory points are all innate abilities that can't be taken away. Um, but before, I've seen plenty of times where someone accidentally turned off an extra VP ability and kill the unit and then... Uh, you know, cheat themselves out of a victory point. So it, it is sort of nice to see that because, uh, you know, it was always kind of a feel bad when you didn't realize uh, that what you were doing until it was too late. Um, and as far as the tactics cards, all all great cards. Um, again, like none of them are bad. Uh, they're all, I would say, like top tier uh, tactics cards. You know, Fire Made Flash, basically the giant special rule. Um the promise by fire, even if they choose not to activate so that this can't be played, uh, the NCU, that's still a card that you could play that means that their NCU is doing nothing that round. Um, Dragon's Flight is probably the least impactful, usually. Uh, obviously, there's going to be this corner cases where that extra maneuver is going to be huge, especially if... Um, you need to get, you know, protect Danny, and you need to bring that dragon closer to her. Because uh, if that dragon hasn't activated yet, you can, if they, let's say, march up to Danny in order to, like, next turn do something, you can then free maneuver the dragon with this card, then activate the dragon, free maneuver, and then have a charge. And unless you just completely put the dragons out in the middle of nowhere, I mean you're probably in range to charge uh, after that point. Um, let's see. And and then, obviously, Dracarys is basically like, uh, oh, 
I don't, I guess maybe for lack of better words, it's like a weak version of issue commands. Uh, if I, let's see if I can get the card. Sorry guys. I, the, for just this commander, all the cards are like spread out for whatever odd reason. So yeah, instead of Danny performing action, a, dra uh, a dragon basically in short range performs a melee attack. Um, but I say lack of a better word because it's still ridiculously strong. An attack with a dragon is amazing. I think uh, if it was basically issue commands, it would be bonkers with, you know, dragons and everything. So I think Simon did uh, a good job with basically making a weak issue commands, but because of the context of what's happening, it's just as good. Uh, Craig, what... What are your thoughts of the mother? Uh, have you uh, had a chance to play her yet? Uh, I have, and she's a lot of fun. But to piggyback on what you were saying about Dracarys, um, the other thing that stands out to me about that card is that it replaces Overrun, which in a list like this is a huge deal because if you can get – you've got three dragons on the table and then you've got Overrun too, and that, would, that would be a, a little bit OP. So I'm really glad that they chose to remove Overrun uh, from this yeah, particular tactic. I agree with you. I was actually when I was first reading the card uh, before talking about them, I was thinking that that you know taking out Overrun doesn't seem like a lot of them seem thematic. This one doesn't seem thematic. It just seems game balance oriented, which is fine. I'm fine with them doing either or. Um, I, I like that, at least if that was the case, that it was taken out for balance. I like that Simon is aware of that. Absolutely. And as far as the rest of uh, her goes, um, it you get really thematic lists with her. I mean, you it's a dragon's list. That's all you're running with her, which is awesome. It's fun. It's thematic. But, man, if you're on the wrong end of it, it's not a lot of fun or thematic. And uh, the Mother of Dragons ability on her card, I think, is interesting to me because if you go back to 1.6 and Sansa for the start, constantly tutoring part. Well, I shouldn't say constantly. Once per game, pulling out that key game-winning card for you whenever you need it, needed it was huge. So much so that they nerfed her before the end of 1.6. It's only being discard piled. Now you have Daenerys doing the same thing, essentially, in her attachment. Uh, you, it's only her commander cards, but in a list with three dragons, the card you're going to want to tutor <laughs> is dragon yep. card. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of an uh, insanely powerful ability. A, a game winner, more or less. Um, yeah, I'd love to see the stats. Like, I'm sure there's no way to figure this out, but I'd love to see the data on the win-loss ratio of a dragon's list in which they see three fire-made fleshes. You know, because you can right. get the two and then use her ability to grab it from the discard. Yep, exactly. And then Promise of Fire, too. Field control is still in this deck. So you had Promise of Fire to it, and now you have, out of 20 cards, four of them that give your opponent's NCU's pots, which is a huge control ability. Yep. So there, there's a lot of utility here that doesn't stand out at first, first glance that I like about her. Uh, my only real complaint 
I, I don't know if complaint's the right word, but making all three dragons one point cheaper, you almost have to to make a viable list with them. But at seven points apiece, it's a little, little rough for everybody else. Yeah, I mean, personally, I think I would rather just see dragons become seven points permanently and make them weaker. I think I've talked about this before. I think doing that just leaves more room for if they decide to make, like, adult dragons. Because the dragons, the adolescent dragons that we have right now are so strong, I feel like it it limits what they can do with the the creative space of the adult dragon without just making it like, you know, 10 points and one shotting things. You know, it, I, I know like it, a real adult dragon obviously like should one shot things, but for game balance, I feel like it would, I would just rather see the three dragons become weaker. These seven points, that way you can still make this uh, thematic list. You would still like you would still have the card that says you have to run all three with the mother, but you wouldn't have to do that reduced cost part. And maybe you could change her around a bit because um, obviously that's one of her upsides for having that big downside of the two VPs. But yeah, I I think uh, you know at eight or at uh, like you said they. They had to do that reduced cost because, you know, eight points, you're looking at, what, 24 for all three. That leaves you with 16 points. Um, eight points of it uh, has like doesn't have to be, but, you know, like two NCUs. So you're looking at uh, eight points left, which at best, I mean, I guess you could, it, it would have to be something that Danny would go in, which means you wouldn't even be able to run like an unsullied officer unless you ran, like, one NCU. I agree. Overall, um, I mean, a lot of people are having problems with dragons, and I don't blame them. They're, you either kind of have the answer or you don't. Um, and I would say more often than not, you don't have the answer. They're just that strong, even without the range attack. Um, I played a, a bunch of uh, games when they had the range attack, and it was... It was so incredibly like impossible to beat because all you had to do is not charge. You would just fly out of sight and shoot shoot your opponent and just keep doing that. They'd turn to face you. You'd fly out of sight and shoot your opponent. And I know like that would mean that you'd want cavalry, but some factions uh, don't have cavalry, like uh, what should we call it, um, free folk. And some uh, factions, you know, they... They might be able to run, like, one cavalry effectively, but sometimes, like, oversaturating in the cavalry section isn't really always uh, feasible. Or even, like, Greyjoys at the moment have no cavalry outside of neutrals, and they encourage you to run uh, Greyjoy-only units. Not that you can't run, like, a Flademan here or a Hedge Knight or something there, but, uh, yeah, I feel like... Dragons are definitely a, a lot better uh, than they were, so it just goes to show that you know things are heading in the right direction. Um, you know, Simon's definitely aware of this stuff, and though I don't think dragons are where they need to be yet, um, there it's still a big leap forward. Absolutely. All right. Let's see. 
next up, we'll talk about the Queen of Marine. Um, she has intimidating presence, so plus one to morale or minus one to morale test rolls and plus one wound from failing panic tests. Uh, and the rightful queen. Each time a friendly NCU claims the crown, you may replace that zone's effect with search your tactics deck for one of her cards and add it to your hand and shuffle your tactics deck. Uh, her first card is Targaryen Supremacy. After an enemy completes the attack, the enemy suffers one panic test. If you control the crown, they suffer minus one to their roll and plus one wound on, on failure for each of the defender's remaining ranks. Uh, she also gets counterplot, same as the Lannister version, uh, but she has to take out swift reposition from the tactics deck to put this one in. And uh, just to clarify, uh, it is, it's not an option. Uh, they did clarify that. I know that was a question that came up for some people. Um, you have to swap swift reposition. You can't choose to not, not, not I mean, I don't know why you'd ever want to keep Swift reposition over counterplot, but there are some scenarios where some of the cards that you're replacing for others, uh, you would, you know, you might not want to swap them based on preference. But um, all right, third one is subjugation of power. When an enemy combat unit activates, that enemy performs one morale test for each zone you control among the crown and the swords. They suffer an additional minus two to their roll. On a failure, they lose all abilities until the end of the turn. And then the last one that she has is remorseless examples. After a friendly unit completes a melee attack, if this attack destroyed an enemy rank, target one other enemy in long range of that enemy, they become panicked. If this attack destroyed the enemy, also place one corpse pile with the following keywords any, anywhere fully in short range and not overlapping other terrain. Uh, the piece would have hindering and grim reminders. Enemies suffer minus one to the morale test rolls and plus one wound from failing panic tests while in short range. So I had actually just played the Queen of Marine uh, not too long ago and uh, she, yeah, she's amazing. Uh, I put her in Bastards Girls with that intimidating presence and all game I was uh I ran a three NCU list and all game I was uh going after just counterplot over and over and over. And I was able to combo uh her intimidating presence with a remorseless examples that had already been put on the field and then uh playing Targaryen Supremacy and I had the crown because I had uh, taken the crown to go replace it to go get the counterplot and uh, yeah, it ended up annihilating a unit because what it ended up being it ended up being like minus uh, um, was it minus 3 minus 4, minus 5 minus 6, minus 7 because it was minus 3 from the uh, supremacy minus 2 for vicious minus 1 from the remorseless examples and minus one from uh, intimidating presence. And then it ended up being plus two, three, plus four to the damage because they were at last rank. So uh, it, I was, they didn't even have to roll the D3. They just, it was like, if you fail this, which you need, which I believe it was, oh yeah, that my opponent was not happy because it was, uh, it was an auto fail, which is actually a thing for panic tests. Uh, you can either auto-pass or auto-fail because if you exceed 12 or under 2, uh, 
doesn't matter what you roll on the dice, double ones isn't an auto fail and double sixes isn't an auto pass. So it was literally just, you don't even take your panic test because it doesn't matter what you roll on any of the three dice, you just die. So <laughs> it uh, it can get pretty nasty pretty quick. She adds a lot of control to with just with the ability to constantly get counterplot, um, which uh, I want to say it has to be from the tactics deck. Um, so it, at least you can't keep reusing the same cards over and over, which is nice. But uh, yeah, it was it, her combos can get pretty nuts. Um, what about you, Craig? What do you think of uh, the queen? Oh, I think she's she's a ton of fun. Um, essentially, what you're doing is you're playing Lannisters, but you're using Targaryen firepower. So <clears throat> instead of marching around with saying, I know pyromancers and all that exist, but instead of using Lannister guardsmen, you're using, for example, pikemen or something like that. You have access to Drogon, who hands out panic tokens when he attacks with Vicious. Uh, Harackers come in off the table edge with Vicious. You have so many ways to get Vicious into your list as well. And then you have Daxos, who if you take the crown with him and influence a unit, causes another plus one wound to panic attack or panic test. So there are so many synergies with her in this faction and with the neutrals, Flayed um, Men, for example. I run her in Blackguard for Intimidating Presence, but uh, or she has Intimidating Presence, but uh, the uh, the Panic Test when they charge you, because that stacks. So yep. there's a lot of synergy there, but you have the same flavor as you get with the Targaryens, but with the attack profile, or with the, the same flavor with the Lannisters, but with the... Um, attack profiles of the Targaryens. Which, in my opinion, is insanely good. Yeah, exactly. It, You know, there's definitely something to be said about adding an element, like a strong element of something that a faction isn't necessarily all that great at. And, you know, it really throws your opponent off guard. You know, they're, they're like, okay, I'm, I'm facing Targaryens. Super offensive you know, craziness. And then all of a sudden you start getting all this control element and, you know, sometimes people don't know, really know what to do or they're taken aback. And by the time they're able to, you know, let's say compose themselves and get back onto their game plan, you know, it might already be too late at that point. All right, let's see. Next up we got Grey Worm. So for Grey Worm, he has Boldness and Courage. That's each time this unit attacks, melee or ranged. If it has full ranks, it gains plus one attack die. Otherwise, it's treated as having plus one rank for attack dice. And he has, gives Counter Strike. Each time this unit is attacked with a melee attack, for each miss, the attacker suffers one hit. His first card is Issue Commands. When your commander's unit activates, instead of the, this unit performing an attack action this turn, or sorry, instead of performing an action this turn, target one friendly unit in long range. It performs one attack or charge action. Or, at the start of a turn, target one friendly combat unit, remove one order token from that unit. They may use this order again this round. Next one is Lash Out. 
This is the one that before the game begins, you would have to remove blood of the dragon from the deck to include it. Uh, after an enemy completes a melee attack, if the defender was not destroyed, the attacker suffers two wounds for each of the defender's destroyed ranks. If the defender is Grey Worm's unit, the attacker also becomes vulnerable. Next, he has Battle Endurance, start of a friendly turn, target one friendly combat unit, and attach this card to it until the end of the game. While attached, this unit's attack gain the following bonuses based on the game round, and they do stack. On a three-up, may re-roll any misses, uh, turn four or more, Thundering, five or more critical blow, and six or more, plus two attack dice. Uh, important to note on this one real quick, it applies to all attacks, not just melee and then the last one is Retribution of the Dragon. When a friendly unit is destroyed by an enemy attack, target that enemy and attach this card to them until the end of the game. While attached, when the enemy is destroyed, gain one victory point. When the enemy is, uh, when the enemy is attacked, if Grey Worm's unit is in short range, that any enemy becomes vulnerable. So, Craig, I'll let you take it, uh, start it off with this one because I know you like Grey Worm, Grey Worm a lot. I do. Uh, he's one of my two favorite commanders in the faction. I run him uh, probably more than I should. But uh, Issue Commands is amazing. Um, I'm sure we've covered it in other episodes. But with the Unsullied Officer available, you are able to double-tap that officer with uh, removing order tokens, uh, which is huge. Uh, that's just one example that you can do with him. Um, or you can get another attack with a dragon, because as we know, dragon attacks are quite weak. <clears throat> I get the most use out of Lash Out, probably. Oh, I use both cards probably every game, and it's it's. I find it to be really effective, just knocking the enemy down a rank. If you're down two ranks, which happens to me more than I'd like to admit, doing four auto wounds back and then being able to hit back on your turn is huge. Battle Endurance. Um, it's probably my favorite card in the whole game right now. Um, as I've talked about last <laughs> last episode, <laughs> I love Outriders. If you put Battle Endurance on something like Outriders, you will frustrate your opponent because they can't catch you. They won't catch you. And all of a sudden, your weak little seven dice are now rerolling misses, are now hitting with thundering. All of a sudden, your six-point unit is hitting like a nine-point unit. Yeah, easy. The dragon, though? What's that? I said, yeah, easy. (laughs) Retribution of the dragon, though, for some reason, I never really get it to go off quite right. Um, I find in a lot of games that I play, so many of them do focus on the commander. Oftentimes, if I, and, and most of my units are fast cavalry that don't get caught, if I do lose a unit, it's Grey Worm. So I don't get the vulnerable out of it. And I just, I don't know, the Targaryens have a lot of cards that grant you extra victory points. Uh, one, each commander has one, I believe. And this one, to me, and maybe it's just a personal thing, but to me, this one seems the hardest one for me to pull off as far as actually getting to complete that extra victory point. But he is the, essentially, he is a fantastic grind-of-the-game-out commander. Um, 
for example, the card Battle Endurance, that's essentially how he plays. As the game goes on, he's whittling the enemy down. So, and I find that to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, and I believe every commander but Dario and Queen of Marine has the extra VP part. Right. Um, I forgot about yeah, For me, Grey Worm uh, is great all around. Um, his two abilities are amazing. Um, him, I mean, he's not even really bad in anything. Like, anything you want to put him in. Boldness and Courage and Counter-Strike is a lot of versatility. I mean, even something as simple as... Uh, um, even some of the neutral stuff. Obviously not mercenaries because you would lose that on the adaptive. But, um, you know, Swordmasters or Pikemen, you know, there's there's an argument for both. I mean, because the boldness of Courage just cranks them up to, you know, 11 for the offensiveness. But Counter-Strike gives the Swordmasters, you know, that extra little defense that I think they're uh, lacking to really keep them uh, on the table long enough. Um, as you were saying about issue commands, the Unsullied Officer is like key for Grey Worm because um, the other effect is awesome, especially like you were saying with the dragon, but the thing is, is you're trading with the top effect when your commander activates instead, uh, yada yada, you perform uh, in long a... Uh, an attack or charge action, you're trading one action for another. Whereas if you got that Unsullied Officer, start of a turn, removing that order token, that's giving you a whole nother attack for free without having to sacrifice anything. Because the second part is just start of any turn. It doesn't actually require you to replace one unit's action with another. So I would argue that whenever you can, I would throw an officer in a list when you have Grey Worm. And now I understand Further that's than- not always... The- possible but further than that it actually gives you an extra activation not just an extra attack yeah. but a whole nother activation yeah that too pulling that order token off uh lash out like you're saying uh i don't really have much else to add to it it's it can be a completely swing card you know you like you're saying you do four back to them and then you attack a lot of take a lot of uh, time that could be the difference, especially if you do uh, do it on Grey Worm's unit with that counter strike. They could take a couple hits back, um, and then with your boldness of courage, so your increased attack dice, uh, you know, you then make them vulnerable and attack them back, and then that auto four wounds. I mean, there's a good chance between all that they, you know, they're dead. Um, Let's see. Next up, we got Jorah Mormont. Um, he has ambush enemies in the uh, enemies. This unit successfully charges in the flank or rear, become panicked and weakened. And he has stubborn tenacity. Each time this unit passes the panic test, one enemy they are engaged with suffers one wound. He has martial. When an unengaged friendly cavalry unit activates once this turn, if that unit would perform a maneuver action, instead of performing that action, it may restore three wounds and remove one condition token. Um, Next, he has fainting maneuver. When a unit successfully charges, if that unit contacted the front of the enemy, align them to any flank 
of that enemy instead. If that unit contacts the flank of the enemy, align them to the rear of that enemy instead. Uh, and before the game begins, remove the overrun Taxus card from the Taxus deck. Next is Opportunist. When a friendly unit is performing a melee attack before rolling attack dice, if the defender has not activated this round, this attack may re-roll any attack dice and gains Precision or Vicious. And if it's Jora doing the attack, he can get both effects. And then lastly, Betrayal. When a friendly NCU claims a zone, replace that zone's effect with gain one victory point, draw one Taxus card, and restore three wounds to draw a Mormont's unit. Your opponent may then attach the Betrayal card to one of your friendly combat units until the end of the game. While attached, each time that unit activates, they suffer one wound. When they are destroyed, your opponent gains one victory point. Now, I've been kind of... Uh, we've only talked about a couple of the cards so far, but... Um, that grant extra victory points, but I wanted to wait until Jorah because, um, you know, I already, you know, I thought the idea behind the extra victory points were kind of cool. You know, they're a nice little different thing to the game, but the more and more I play against them in the competitive setting, I absolutely hate these cards. Um, literally in the last tournament we just had, um, we had ended round six with it tied 8-8, and I was barely going to win based on points remaining or whatever the the tiebreaker would be for tied victory points. But uh, very last action of the game, before everything was act activated out, he simply plays, okay, this NCU claimed this spot, Betrayal. I only have one unit left. You pick him. Okay, game ends 9-8. Like, that... I can't express to you the frustration of something like that. Uh, yes, if this card is played at the beginning of the game, uh, and you know, and your opponent has to go all game, you know, slowly taking a wound here and there, and you have ways like uh, Mopatis to heal. You have even his other card, Marshall, to heal if they happen to put it on a cavalry unit. Uh, you have the wealth, you have Tycho, you have ways to make this card, uh, you know, kind of help ensure this card happens. But you have that scenario where you just go, okay, uh, free victory point, especially if you get both. Uh, I mean, you only need 10 victory points to win this game. Uh, and <laughs> knowing that you are going into the game with, as long as you draw these cards, a handicap of a two uh plus two victory point lead, uh, it's super frustrating. Um, you know, I I guess that's all i got to say about it. It's just I don't like this mechanic at all for that reason competitively. Um, what about you, Craig? What are your thoughts on Jorah? Well, everything you just said, you're 100% correct, and I agree with you. But... Now that I play Targaryens, I also disagree with you, and then it's really nice to have the extra two victory points going into it. <laughs> um, I mentioned bet. that I always, that for whatever reason, I always struggle to get gray wins to pop off. Um, this is the exact opposite, like you said. This one is too easy. You don't have to do anything other than take a <laughs> take a zone, which you're going to do anyway. So we're on the same page yeah. here. Um, as far as Jorah, the commander, he's a lot of – without that card. We'll ignore that card for now. He's a lot of fun to play. Um, he's got um, 
he's well more well rounded than Drogo. Drogo would be his direct competitor as far as Mount Compa- uh, Commanders go. And he has more tools in his toolbox. He has the healing. Um, he has fainting maneuver ways to get in flanks and whatnot. So we'll talk more about um, Drogo in a little bit. But the way I play Jora is just a lot of cheap, fast cavalry. Um, just hit from everywhere, all the time, all at once. I leave hackers at home uh, because of betrayal and only having six wounds on them. But other than that, he's a lot of fun if you want to be light and fast. Uh, oh, yeah, he's, I agree. He's actually I... good for uh, veterans. It's good to run veterans in his list. The Dothraki veterans. Oh, yeah. Exactly. If you shoot, you know, with their attack and then charge and fainting a maneuver, not only did you you're getting two attacks against your opponent, but now you're attacking the flank, possibly the rear, and then you could even have something like, uh, um, you know, what you would call it, the opportunist for guaranteed those rerolls in case you went over some piece of terrain, you know, the precision uh, precision and vicious, If obviously if Jorah's in that unit, um, it can get pretty nasty with some of the combos. And that, I guess I got on a tangent about um, his uh, betrayal card, you know, fainting maneuver is, it's up there for one of the best cards in the game, uh, in, in my opinion, like probably top 10, um, you know, because a lot of times getting that flank is not easy with experienced players and to just be able to contact the front and then auto align to the side uh, or to the flank then also allows you for uh, what do they do they have hit and run um, so obviously you have to begin engaged but let's say you begin engaged on your next attack and now you can like retreat way off into their backfield sudden retreat yeah yeah so they got to hit first so yeah you would charge uh fainting maneuver to the side finish your attack and everything but then next time you attack you know retreat all the way into their backfield and you know it it can really screw up your opponent's plan but i i would agree with you i i like jorah a lot um and as you were kind of mentioning with gray worm you know, his extra victory point one is not so bad. Neither is uh, uh, the Mother of Dragons. You know, the Mother of Dragon, you just have to kill a dragon, which uh, gives you that point back, you know, or not really gives it back, but, you know, evens it back out. Um, let's see, Grey Worms was when that enemy is destroyed. Uh, so you have to attach it to something. Uh, so it can be easy, but it's definitely a lot more challenging to get it. But yeah, Jorah's Betrayal, uh, it's, even if you get this thing mid-game, I mean, you're only going to do like three wounds to yourself all game, and you just do one Mopatis heal, or even just uh, one Marshall heal, if, like I said, if it's on a Calvary, and you just negated the whole thing to give yourself a victory point. Um Let's see. All right, well, moving on. We got Barristan Selmy, the bold. He has Knightly Vow. For his melee attacks, after deployment, tar- target one enemy unit, 
when attacking or charging that enemy, this unit's melee attacks gain plus one to hit and may re-roll any charge distance dice. And he gives Embolden. Friendly units in short range gain plus one to morale test rolls. His first card uh, removes the sudden retreat from the tactics deck. Uh, the main ability is when a friendly unit is performing a melee attack before rolling attack dice. If this unit began the turn engaged with the defender, it rolls its highest attack die value. If this targets Barristan Selmy's unit, the defender becomes vulnerable. Uh, next up, we have Combat Prowess. When an enemy is targeted by an ability or tactics card, you may expend one condition token from that enemy. If you do, cancel the effect of that ability or tactics card. And start of a friendly turn, target one engaged friendly combat unit, remove one condition token from that unit. And then, let's see, next card is Victory Comes Hard. After a friendly unit passes a panic test, attach this card until they fail a panic test. While attached, this unit's melee attacks gain thundering. When this card is removed, this unit becomes weakened and vulnerable. Then lastly, has Legendary Boldness. Uh, start of a turn, draw a card uh, is the optional effect. Because the main effect is start of the round, target Barristan Selmy's unit and attach this card to them until the end of the round. While attached, when this unit passes a panic test, all enemies in short range become panicked. If this unit is destroyed, your opponent gains one victory point. When this card is removed, if this unit is engaged, gain one victory point. Again, I mean, uh, like this is definitely one of those ones that has a lot of play to it that you can avoid um, giving that extra victory point. But, I mean, Selmy's your commander. So you put Selmy, you get Selmy on an objective. And in order to uh, sell me from giving you two victory points, you have to engage him. You have to hopefully contest him. But if you don't destroy him, you are engaged with him, he's getting an additional victory point from this card. Uh, or you have more activations and you use sell me to charge someone that has already activated. Uh, there's there's just as many ways to play around this card to not give the victory point to the Targaryen player as there are as many ways to for the Targaryen player to set up no-win scenarios for this card to auto-trigger its victory point. Um, again, this one definitely is not as easy as Jorah's or um, as we'll talk about Drogo's, but I don't know. Uh, if... If we were playing a game where it was just play out all the way to round six and so on, it definitely wouldn't be as bad because uh, there's two extra victory points, or at least possibly one. I, I, I would assume most Targaryen players at least get one of their victory points with a lot of the commanders, not all of them, um, that you, know, you can kind of come back after more rounds have gone by, but when you just go, okay, 10 points, we end as long as we're not tied. Giving extra victory points like this, I don't know. Uh, again, I'm going to say it again. I, I just don't really care for it. Um, his other stuff are really cool. Uh, I like uh, um, Combat Prowess, super strong card. Anything that shuts off an ability or tactics card effect is amazing. 
Um, you have to expend that condition token, which, if I'm correct, nothing he does gives a condition token, so that can be challenging. Let's see. I guess legendary boldness uh, makes enemies in short become panicked, so possibly there, but otherwise he himself doesn't, so you would have to run some other way or use the... Um, the uh, I'm sure there's some in the generic tactics deck as well, but but unlike uh, let's say um, Roos, who I think has a lot more ways of generating tokens uh, with a lot of stuff he can do, especially because he can go in other factions. But nonetheless, a very strong card. Even the other ability to remove a condition token is great. Uh, sustained assault. Um, Let's see. Being able to auto, almost auto-trigger the second part, because the sustained assault is always kind of a, um, a so-so card depending on the scenario, but the fact that it, if you just do it on Barristan, you can get that um, vulnerable token. So I guess, yeah, you can get that one, a vulnerable token there too. Um, you know, and roll your highest attack die value. So I like sustained assault with Barristan. Um, Bolden's always nice. So yeah, overall, a great commander. Um, I do want to point out, victory comes hard. Seems, I don't know, uh, you have to pass the panic test. And then it only stays on until you fail a panic test just to get Sundering to then possibly give yourself weakened and vulnerable. Um, so, I mean, maybe if you put Barristan in some pikemen to make their morale amazing that way the chances that they ever fail is super slim and then you could play it on him to give those pikemen sundering and then um he has a card that will remove a condition token if you need to with combat prowess so i don't know i think it definitely has a lot of potential i just feel like there's a lot of stipulation just so you can have sundering what do you think craig yeah, you're right on that, but flip side of that is the faction needs um, Sundering. It doesn't have much of it. So, especially if you don't have a dragon in the list, you don't have anything that actually busts through armor. So it it can be worth it. Um, my problem with, and he's a good commander, but my I don't play him that much. Uh, reason being is to me he is another... Um, a long game. Another endurance commander. Um, attrition. Attrition is what I'm looking for. He's an attrition commander, uh, as is Grey Worm. But I feel like, me personally, Grey Worm fits my play style better because his cards are more... They're, they're less situational. So because of that, Grey Worm always gets the nod whenever I'm looking for that type of commander. And to me, that's the real downside to sell me. He just has yeah, um, He's, I would say, like, on a competitive, like, strength level, he's probably one of the weakest. Uh, but nonetheless, I do find him really fun. Uh, a lot of his stuff just seems very situational for a very... Uh, strange experience, for lack of a better word there, you know, with the Nightly Vow, if you don't have enough activations to try to make sure that Barristan 
uh, deploys close to what he, or I guess it's after deployment, so that is nice. So, um, but uh, you never know, you know, the things that you really want to use this on could, you know, they could purposely deploy it away from him to force you to just nightly vow onto, you know, their, you know, uh, their weak unit, their unit that they don't really care about. Um, but overall, I still like him. I've played him a couple times, and uh, that was kind of my experience with him was he was fun, but uh, there's definitely, if you're looking competitively, there's definitely stronger options. I absolutely love his model, though. I want to point that out. He has such an amazing model. Uh, his armor is awesome. Uh, next up, we have Belwas the Strong. He has the order Taunt. When an enemy in short range activates, if that enemy can charge this unit, it performs one morale test with a minus one to their roll for each remaining rank in this unit. On a failure, it performs one charge action on this unit. This is their this is their action for the turn. And he also gives Hardened, arguably the best ability in the game. Uh, each time an enemy performs an attack on this unit, after rolling defense dice, this unit blocks plus one hit and an additional plus one hit for each of his destroyed ranks. First uh, ability or first tax card is when a friendly unit passes a panic test from being attacked, that attacker suffers or becomes panicked. If the defender was Bellwas's unit, the attacker also suffers one wound for each of the defender's remaining ranks. Uh, you'll uh, remove field control, which is a big hit. Field control is really, really good. Um, but with that said, Bellwas is still amazing. Um, his next card is Expert Parry. When a friendly cavalry or infantry unit would be destroyed by a melee attack, for each blocked hit, the attacker suffers one hit. If the defender is Bellwas's unit, the attacker suffers minus one to defense dice rolls for these hits. Um, let's see... Okay, so it's like, um, oh yeah, so it's similar to what uh, I believe Jamie has or had. Uh, let's see, his next one is Good Dying. When a friendly cavalry or infantry unit is destroyed, before removed, that unit performs one melee attack action using its lowest attack die value on the attacker. If this targets Bellawas' unit, it gains plus two attack dice. If this attack destroyed the defender, your friendly unit is not destroyed, but instead remains in play with one wound. And then lastly, count the cuts. After an enemy completes a melee attack, if, the, if they destroyed a rank, target the defender, attach this card to them until they destroy an enemy with an attack. When, you, when this card is removed, gain one victory point. When attached, this unit cannot restore wounds, but it gains plus two to morale test rolls, and its melee attacks always roll its highest attack die value. Your opponent gains one victory point when it's destroyed. Uh, let's see. Okay, so this one is interesting. Again, though, as many ways as there is to get around to hopefully get yourself an extra victory point. There's just as many ways to get the free victory point, um, which sounds like a good trade-off, but normally the Targaryen player is going to have the advantage in knowing the scenarios that's best 
than your opponent, unless your opponent's just played against that much Targaryen, or they play Targaryen themselves that much. Um, good dying, I like. I like that, uh, you know, it's uh, it checks itself. That and by that it says you um, with uh, which we call it. It performs one attack using the lowest attack die, whereas um, count the cuts uh, always rolling its highest attack die. So if you put count the cuts on the unit and they would die, and you try to play good dying to stay alive, um, you're uh, in the rule book, it does say lowest attack die trumps highest attack die. So I do like that they added that um, little counterbalance in there. Um, they were kind of, you know, thinking that, okay, well, if you have count the cuts on them and your opponent's finally about to destroy you and to get that extra victory point for the downside of the count the cuts, you can't just go, okay, good dying, and then uh, have your highest attack die value, and then possibly plus two dice because of Bellawas at highest attack die, and then kill the unit, come back with one, and then trigger count the cuts, get a victory point, and then car, uh, count the cuts falls off. Um, so uh, just to clarify, you can't do all that. You would, if it, even if it was Bellawas's unit with count the cuts on them, good dying would just let you go lowest attack die plus two dice because of Bellawas. But overall, even though you have to get rid of field control, Bellwas is amazingly good. Uh, I think we mentioned it in the other show with uh, pikemen, but you put Bellwas in some pikemen, and you have uh, uh, Doxos on them uh, with the block one hit, plus one hit. So now you have Harden blocking one plus one for every destroyed rank, you have Doxus blocking plus one, and you have shield wall blocking plus one for every remaining rank. Um, essentially making it, for because uh, Harden is all the time, Doxus is all the time, as long as you have the wealth and he's on that unit, but uh, shield wall is only an order, so only once. But you're either doing... When you shoot, use shield wall, no matter what rank you're at, just how it, it's how it works out. If you calculate at each rank, it'll be block, auto block five. And then after that, it'll be auto block, uh, what is it? Um, without shield wall, it'll be block two, block three, block four. Uh, so two at full ranks, three at two ranks, and four at last rank. I mean, Almost nothing's going to ever kill that unit, which I think is a problem. Uh, you would have to dedicate so much resources that it puts it well, well beyond the amount of points and investment you put into the unit. And I think that's mostly because of hardened. You know, shield wall is not a big deal because it's an order, in my opinion. It does kind of suck that, you know, getting through that first rank, even the second rank, because they block so much is a pain in the butt. But only once is fine. Hardened all the time, having an auto plus one, it, and being able to combine it with that shield wall is just crazy. Um, Craig, uh, have you been able to pull that uh, combo off? Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. Um <laughs> 
this is another one of those commanders that is a lot of fun to play and has a lot of nasty combos, just like that one that you mentioned. Um, a downside to it is, though, that uh, it kind of has the same problem that the old Baratheons had in that good dying when a friendly cavalry infantry unit is destroyed. Expert parry when a friendly cavalry infantry unit would be destroyed. So you have two command cards that uh, rely on you being destroyed, and then you have Blood of the Dragon, which doesn't do anything until you've lost units. So that that six out of your 20 cards are relying on you dying, which yep. Bellwaps won't die. So <laughs> I, <laughs> That's why you got to throw I don't know, a chaff if, unit in there just to force the death. Right. But then if you do that, <laughs> for example, if you, if you use, like, the Freedmen, for example, then uh, um, good dying is kind of useless, <laughs> you know. So if that unit dies, you know, you don't want to play a uh, good dying on, on a chat unit because it's not going to do anything, more, most likely. So that's kind of the problem I have with them. I don't like decks that are full of... Uh, contradicting triggers, especially six six out of twenty with the same trigger. Yep, that's that's my only complaint with him. Yeah, I didn't. Even, you know, I just read it, obviously, but I didn't even realize the expert parry is only when you would be destroyed. It just yeah. seems odd that that would be a trigger for an expert parry. Um, you know. <laughs> It just seems like it would be a after you're attacked or something. Or even like you could make it a little further and be like after you're attacked and you lost at least one rank or something. Right. Well, and that, that's the other thing too is his third card is losing a rank. So really you've got eight cards in your out of 20 that rely on you losing models. Yep. And my even never the, ideal. And even the fourth card, uh, pathetic attempts, requires you to be attacked. You don't have to take any damage. I don't believe I lost my place in the cards. I was reading, but uh, you don't have to take any damage. But you have, or yeah, you do actually, because you have to pass a panic test. No, because if you pass all of them, you auto count as passing a panic test. So right. you you don't technically have to take any damage, but. Um, you still have to be attacked. So all of his cards are reactive. So you could literally, it'd be kind of funny, but you could just get on the objectives first and then never attack once and avoid every one of his cards. (laughs) So uh, with that said, it would be funny, could force you to, because he has taunt, even if, because you would activate and he would for if you feel that panic it forces a charge and you can't after you've already done the charge action there's nothing in the rule book that then says you can't can't then choose not to attack once you've already started the process of the action um so that would be kind of funny if someone's game plan was to just not attack you once and just try to win by being on uh, objectives, and then you just taunt them into doing it. But I think the obvious place for Bellawas is obviously Pikeman. You know, that hardened with the shield wall, you have the taunt to taunt them into your set for charge. Um, you know, and then allows you to trigger a bunch of your effects. 
Um, always highest attack die for pikemen is amazing. Uh, and even though you can't restore wounds, plus two to morale basically means that you're passing, auto-passing almost all morale tests unless they have a modifier. Uh, you know, so I think his go-to spot is almost always going to be pikemen. Obviously, you can put them in anything you want. That hardened is super useful in anything. You could even say Swordmasters because, you know, we've talked about how Swordmasters are just kind of, they're for their points, they're so offensive, but they're they're easy to kill, so you have to be careful with them. But throwing Bellowoss in there, that Harden will definitely uh, give them that staying power, I think. Let's see. Next yep. up, we are going to talk about, uh, did I miss Drogo or something? Uh, we're going to talk about... Uh, Dario, but let me just look here. I feel like I maybe missed Drogo on all of these cards that I screenshot. Um, yeah, somehow... Oh, you know, that's why. We had already talked about Drogo in um, the Visions. So I'm only going to briefly mention Drogo and really just his extra victory point card. So I think uh, we at one point had talked about the extra victory point stuff. It didn't seem as bad at first because I'm pretty sure my uh, take on them was it wasn't all that big a deal because, um, you know, they had ways around them and they're, there's a lot of upsides and downsides. But the more and more I play against Targaryens, the more I just realize that, once you've played Targaryens enough, it's super easy to get some of these commanders' extra victory points and just pull off, in what, in my opinion, easy wins. Because anytime you have two great players and you can almost ensure that you're getting at least one, if not two, extra victory points ahead of them for doing nothing but basically playing a card, that it takes a lot of the, the competitiveness and strategy out of the game. Uh, anyways, Dario, he uh, does have a Targaryen commander version. Um, if I am not mistaken, he is 100% identical to the neutral version, with the exception of one card. Um, but just for context, I will go over uh, all of them. So he has the affiliation, affiliation Stormcrows, um, makes his unit a Stormcrow unit. All Stormcore units are also Targaryen units, so you won't have to worry about uh, going over your neutral point. Uh, he has improved armaments. While you control the wealth, this unit's melee attacks gain Sundering and roll their highest attack die value. Motivated by coin, each time a friendly NCU claims the wealth, you may replace that zone's effect with Dario Naharis's unit performs one attack action. He has Soul Sword Negotiations. When a friendly NCU claims a zone, replace that zone's effect with until the end of the round, you count as controlling the wealth and restore two wounds to one friendly combat unit. If this targets a Stormcrow unit, restore plus one wound for each of that unit's destroyed ranks. And he has Soul Sword Bravado. Start of a friendly turn, target one friendly combat unit. That unit performs one morale test. This is a Stormcrow unit. It gains plus two to its roll. On a success, target one enemy in long range. It becomes panicked and, and weakened. So it's basically war cry, but you change out the vulnerable for a panic token. And it has a way to buff the morale uh, test. Um, 
Next one is Reckless Strikes. When a friendly combat unit is performing a melee attack before rolling attack dice, this attack gains critical blow and precision. The attacker suffers one wound for each attack die roll of a one. If this targets a Stormcrow unit, this attack rolls at the highest attack die value. So basically what is one point attachment does, uh, but in a, with an upside, like an additional upside and in just tactics card form. And then his last card, which is the one that will uh, is uh, added just for Targaryens that the neutral version doesn't have. This one is removing Blood of the Dragon from the Tactics deck. At the start of any round, target one friendly combat unit. That unit performs one attack action. After completing that attack, your opponent may activate one NCU. So I want to start off with that card. Uh, this card is awesome. Um, the problem is it's situational. I've played him twice now, and only once have I ever encountered a situation where I felt like I wanted to play it, because you have to remember that um, it's start of the round, so you really want to do it on the turn where you, or on the round where you're going first. The reason being is um, start of the round, you're going to play this. They're going to immediately be able to take a spot on the board, then um, you you get to finally go first uh, in the round. If you do it on a round where your opponent goes first, you're going to do this attack, and then your opponent's going to get to activate an NCU and then pass another NCU, or anything, really. Um, they don't have to activate a second NCU, but they could really try to lock you out of that tactics board. Um, so... In my opinion, the key moments you're going to want to use this card is like when a unit's basically going to uh, be dead if you attack them to try to eliminate an activation off the board before they get to do anything. Um, I like the card. I think uh, Simon did a great job balancing it, um, you know, making it to where there's definitely a lot of pros and, and cons to this card, and you just have to play this card smart. Um all the rest of his cards are great. That uh, really, you know, it drives wanting to run some thematic uh, Stormcrow lists. And even if you don't want to run, like, all Stormcrow lists, even him, like you were mentioning, Craig, uh, Sundering isn't something you have a ton of access to. The fact that if you control the wealth, he gives the unit he's in Sundering and highest attack die um, and getting free attacks if possible. I mean, you throw him, and I mean, granted, it doesn't add any defensiveness to the unit, but you throw him and some sword masters, and they could really be, you know, pushing a lot of damage with sundering and precision, and always rerolls at always highest attack die value, assuming you have the wealth. But you know, he has the self sword negotiations. You can run Peter Baelish to, you know, between two self sword negotiations and Peter Baelish, you could almost ensure that you have the wealth you know, almost like the entire game. Uh, and then, you know, again, motivated by coin, a free attack. You can ensure that even on the turns where your opponent gets to go first and they take that combat zone from you, that you can not only start to trigger your improved armaments, but you can get that free attack with some sword masters. Uh, I mean, you could still even argue, you know, giving Sundering and highest attack die to Pikemen would be amazing too. And free attacks with that would be amazing. But uh, what do you think, uh, Craig? And, and in particular, 
do you like hasty offense uh, enough to remove fire and blood? Because you could essentially still run the neutral version with all the benefits. You literally are just asking yourself, do you want hasty offense or fire and blood? Uh, so it depends on the situation in game. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hasty offense to me is, well, I play a bit hasty. So I like it in that <laughs> it's, it's another activation. Um, if you're running Storm Crows, um, you should be um, you should have more activations than your opponent, depending on how you built the list. But you should, um, especially with um, adaptive and the unsullied officer available. Uh, you should never be out activated. So then, you at top of the round you get a free attack, which doesn't count towards your uh, activations. And let's say you are going first that round. Well, now you force your opponent before the round even starts. Granted, they do get a spot on the tactics board. Now, that is true. Out of turn. But they have now that you are requiring, if they're to use, because it says may, right? Yes. It says may. So if they want to do that, they're essentially going to be down another activation as the round starts, which further widens your activation advantage. Um, and then if you have, uh, well, you're going to have a lot of uh, motivated by coin in your list as well. So even if they take the swords, you still have the bags or vice versa. So no matter what, you're getting two free attacks that round. Uh, one of them yep. being essentially a free activation. Um, and something else with um, motivated by coin, if I go first in the round, I don't want my opponent to have to. I usually, in a list like this, you want Peter Baelish. So I will usually, you know, I don't want my opponents to have the envelope. So if I'm going first and I have a lot of motivated by coin, I will put him on the envelope and tell my opponent, you know, block them, use the sword's ability, and then tell my opponent, okay, I have now gotten a free attack. Um, if you want to stop me from getting in free, another free attack, you can take the swords, but I'll just use, you said use the, the bag. You know what? The money bag, right? Yeah. Well, no, I place him on the envelope and use the swords. Littlefinger's ability. Oh, you're saying you're going to use his ability to count as the wealth for the for the round. No, no. What I'm saying is um, if you have a lot of adaptive, or not adaptive, the... Uh, Motivated by coin, you take Peter Baelish and replace the zone with the effect of any unclaimed zone. So you block yep. the envelope, then replace it with the swords for a free attack to start of the round. But why are you and blocking then, the envelope? Yeah. That's why I'm confused. Oh, because I just don't like my opponent's step tactics cards. Or if oh, we can okay. tell them I'm just making so, sure you're not confusing the, the wording of the, the envelope and the money no. bag. Okay, no, go ahead. No. So, but you, I mean, if you're playing against um, Lannisters, you do the same thing with the crown, or you're playing, you know, another Targaryen or Starks, you take the horse. You know, it's all, it's all the same. I just use the envelope as an example. But you leave the bags and the swords open so it is impossible for them to stop you from getting two free attacks that round in a Stormcrow list. 
And then with hasty offense, um, that's a whole nother round where you get a free attack before the round even starts. Yep. But Dario's a lot of fun. Um, he's probably my second favorite infantry commander. Uh, third. Queen of Marine being my second in the entire faction. Because of all the cool tricks like that you can play, because of the activation advantage you can get. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think people underestimate, you know, Stormcrow mercenaries. Uh, to put it in perspective, you know, I think I talked about it in the Stark episode, is that, you know, if I had the choice between Sworn Swords or mercenaries with any one-point attachment I can think of, you know, from any faction, really, uh, I'll pick the mercenaries hands down almost every time. Um, oh, all day. In my Rob, in my Rob list, I, I had uh, kind of told a bunch of people about, I didn't, the only reason I didn't have them in there over Sworn Swords is because I was already at my 20-point uh, neutral limit with uh, two flayed men and then Peter Baelish. So... Uh, but if I could have, I would have turned those sworn swords into mercenaries. And, you know, like you were saying, you run the Unsullied Officer. It's a seven-point unit that gives you a pseudo two activations. And you don't even have to run, like, spam them. You don't have to run, like, three of them. With, because I, I've seen that list where it's, like, three mercenaries with three Unsullied Officers, which is still amazing. But you don't necessarily yeah. have to do that. You could run even just, like, one with an Unsullied Officer. You run another one with uh, uh, Bellwas. Um, you know, you can, or you can just run, like, one with an Unsullied Officer and then two of them with uh, Stormcrow Lieutenants. Like you were saying, if you have a bunch of improved armaments, um, you can really compound that highest attack die value and Sundering all the time. Um, you know, it's, uh, people are going to, uh, you know, they're not going to realize how hard, you know, a, a five-point unit can hit you, um, when you have that much attrition all game, you may, and by attrition, I don't mean, I guess, by the health of your unit before they die, but just by how hard you can keep hitting back. I mean, that's why berserkers were so are, were and are so great because you get them, you start uh, hurting them. They start getting better. Now, granted, uh, improved ornaments aren't going to make you any better, but, you're you're never going to lose your potency, which is uh, really huge in this game. And like you're kind of mentioning, you know, the number of free attacks with P Peter Baelish, you cover the spot they want. You take the free, uh, you then take uh, the combat zone. Then you can take uh, if they don't, you take the combat zone, or you take motivated by coin. You have the um, have a hasty offense. Um, you have overrun after you finally, you know, attacked 12 times. You have your unsullied officer. Uh, the number of uh, action actions that you can do, or even just, let's say, attacks, can be pretty crazy. And, you know, you can get some pretty cheap stuff going. Because um, what you're looking at, let's say you put him in Swordmasters, and you run three... Um, mercenaries and then one with an unsullied officer so you're looking at what 15 20 25 points for that and you're at uh 
for five activations at 25 points. Um, granted, one of them is, you know, the Unsullied Officer, but, uh, and now you still have room to maybe run a Stormcrow uh, Lieutenant, or not Lieutenant, sorry, Stormcrow Archers. Uh, that puts you at 31 points. You still have then room to run like Selmy, which is an amazing NCU, and then something else, whether it be um, uh, Danny to remove tokens and reroll dice, or um, or uh, or Littlefinger, like we we're discussing. Well, and you mentioned Danny too, uh, with the Unsullied Officer. Stormcrow mercs can reliably attack three times per round if they're engaged. If you add Danny to that, that's three times per round with rerolls. Yeah, the the Stormcrows, uh, in my opinion, unfortunately, I I, I just hate to see kind of neutrals get the the you know scraps, but. I think an all Stormcrow list is so much more effective in a Targaryen build with their deck and their attachments than it is in the neutral deck uh, with their limited amount of attachments. Um, I would love to see Simon maybe even just come out with some uh, stuff that's simply neutral only um, to kind of give, and not like a whole army's worth, but just a couple key things to give neutrals a little bit of a boost um, because their tactics deck I don't think is the worst. I think they're kind of like bottom of the middle of all eight tactics decks out there. So like, I don't know, number, we'll say number four or five out of eight. Um, and with that said, the tactics deck's the only thing they have going for them. Um, you know, that's different than uh, what any other, and the fact that they can run 40 points rather than just 20 points of neutrals. But, yeah, I think Targaryens kind of take the Stormcrow um, thematic uh, list and, crank, you know, they really make it competitive. I agree. Uh, even if the neutrals just had a, an attachment box that was neutral only, it would go a long way. Yeah, like even generic attachments, like things that other factions won't like be, oh, man, I wanted that special character or, you know, I want to use that unit. You know, just like, like you were saying, that'd be perfect, like a gen, uh, an attachment box that's just generic guys that are just uh, neutral only. And it could just be like one Stormcrow generic guy, one Bolton generic guy, one Bloody Mummer generic guy, and just like one generic guy for each sub-faction of neutrals, it could be like five different attachments, two of each in the box, and uh, and they'd be just neutrals only, um, one point each or something like that. And I think that would go a long way to really help the neutral faction um, without really changing anything. And for anyone that would kind of cry that they they couldn't use it in their army, I mean, neutrals can't use, you know, anything but neutrals. So I, I feel like they need a, a bone thrown to them. All right. And then let's see. To wrap it up, uh, just look at Drogo here real quick. Did you have anything to add before we move on? No. 
Okay, so Drogo, um, he's amazing. He's everyone kind of already knows my opinion about expert duelist. Um, I I hate that a cavalry has it. Um, I don't like the rule to begin with, but the fact that a cavalry has it that is basically ignores it. Uh, I don't like that even more. Like, I would be super happy if they only just changed two things about Expert Duelist and left at that, and that would be um, take Expert Duelist off Drogo, give it to, like, Bellawas, give Drogo what the mountain has, you know, the uncontrollable wrath or whatever, the two auto wounds uh, on all melee attacks, um, and then make a way for a commander to bypass the expert duelist, whether it be like, okay, if if you attack a commander with it, they can choose to take D3 wounds instead of their attachment dying. Um, and if they just did those couple changes, I, you know, I would just live with the whole expert duelist meta and everything. But those are the two biggest, I guess, complaints is someone that ignores it, has it, and the mm-hmm. fact that you are forced to take a field commander and susceptible to him just getting popped from uh, expert duelist. Um, and Drogo being, you know, being able to be on the fastest thing in this game, you know, a six-inch cavalry, and let's say, like, even Greyjoys, you know, the army I play the most, they have so, you know, they can reliably have six activation, like six or six combat units, and you can run one point Carl to almost guarantee that you can deploy across from your opponent's commander. Um, and so it really limits the, even the potential to avoid your commander from being popped from expert duelist. Anyways, uh, but the card I wanted to talk about is uh, Adravat. Uh, I think I'm seeing that sort of wrong, but it's his card where when called Drogo's unit activates, target one enemy in long and attach this card to them until the end of the round. While attached, melee attacks on this enemy gain critical blow. Uh, when that enemy is destroyed, gain one victory point. If this card is removed, that enemy uh, that enemy has not been destroyed. Your opponent gains one victory point. So, again, this is the easiest of the easiest. You literally hold it in your hand until your attack will almost guarantee kill the unit. You just because it's when you when Drogo activates, so it's not even like the sell me one where he has to play at the beginning of the round and you go, Okay, I just have to make sure I'm not engaged with sell me. I can like retreat really far away and then angle my trade to where he can't charge me back. This you literally just you hold it in your hand. You go, okay, that unit's finally almost dead. Drogo activate. Especially using, like, vets or something. You don't even have to wait until they're, like, completely dead. You just um, activate Drogo, shoot them, soften them up, and then charge in, and then, okay, awesome. Free, Almost essentially a free victory point. Um, you know, I think this is the worst offender of, of it. And then Jorah's is probably like the second, and it just kind of goes down from there. Some of them are not that bad. 
but all the like the super competitive um, lists have these easy you know triggers and like I said competitively knowing that there's as long as my opponent draws the card there's like this two victory point handicap is I don't know it's it's a bad play experience for me um, what are your thoughts uh, Craig on Hatchervat well I do agree with everything you said uh, you're not wrong but flip side of that is there are a ton of ways to heal in this game at random times um, there are commander cards that can keep a unit alive um, there are tactics cards that can do it now granted how often are you going to be playing against that and, and are they even going to have it in their hand one problem I have um, so right now you can only have five cards in your hand at any given time and if I draw this card early at the beginning of the game, you're going to call me crazy for this. But if I draw it early, I will actually use its secondary effect just to keep my deck cycling because I don't want to sit and hold on to a card. Um, now, if I draw it later in the game when there are units that are, you know, I don't want to hold the card for three, four rounds, two rounds, whatever. But... If, like you said, if it's late in the game, you're right. You just hold it and wait patiently and then go kill something. There's two sides to it. I, I actually like the secondary effect quite a bit, too. Um, also, if your goes dead, you can keep your your hand cycling. Um, in, in addition to that, lead by example, um, if you're running a Dothraki horde, most of your morales are on a 5-up anyway. And I like to run a lot of outriders. So melee attack doesn't mean much to me. So if I pull lead by example, I'll usually use its secondary effect to cycle it. And in so doing, yep. I find that Drogo's deck cycles really, really fast. Um, I'm usually out of cards by the by the fifth round. <laughs> so hopefully <laughs> the game's over at that point. But um, and then his attachment. You know, I understand the expert duelist thing, but Iron Resolve is just as important. Um, for example, if you put him in Flayed Men, they go from a 6-up, which, if it was vicious or anything else, quickly goes to an 8-up, 9-up, whatever. Um, but when they started a base 5-up, that's huge. It's amazing what, what a plus 1 can do. And then you add Blood of the Dragon to it, and negative 1 wound plus negative 1 wounds, <laughs> Even if you fail the paint, well, you have to roll a three before you take a wound. Not to mention Drogo's Blood Riders that we don't know how much they cost yet, but they have a five-up morale, a three-up save, five-up morale. You put Drogo in them, and they're a, a three-up, four-up with minus two if you have the Blood of the Dragon on them. Yeah. So that being said, when they come out, if they're 36 points, I'll still run them. I don't care. Yeah. They look amazing. Yeah, exactly. They're some of the coolest models. They're easily the coolest uh, Targaryen models, in my opinion. Um, but they're really up there. Uh, but yeah, Iron Resolve is amazing on Drogo. Um, it's super strong. Most of my things I have like complaints with are usually just tend to be like field feels bads. You know, like getting free victory points when the scenario like it falls just perfectly and it's just like a, almost a guarantee or expert duelist where it's like, okay, I had no way to get away from them. And it's just, okay, awesome. I started the second round of the game 
with my commander dead. We had one scenario just the other day where, um, you know, the commander was in, like, the super bunker that, you know, they were never going to be able to kill in Clash of Kings. And they got expert duelist and died, but the unit was too tough to destroy, so they lasted the whole game and could never bring their commander back because duelist had popped them right away. Uh, so, I don't know. Uh, hopefully, I, I, everyone kind of has their own like thoughts on this. I want to see expert duelists stay in the game. I just want it to be reworked to avoid the like real feel-bad moments. And like I said, the biggest part is just the commander. Um, you know, because I understand that uh, a lot of attachments need kind of this counter because some attachments are just so incredibly strong that you need, like, this way to possibly get rid of them if you need to. But if you're going to change the game to where you're forcing your opponent to have a commander on the field, there shouldn't also be a way to then just pop that commander, especially when the commander provides extra victory points. That's the other big thing. You run Drogo. Um and you have such a big advantage, in my opinion, the fact that in missions where your commander gives an extra victory point being on an objective, so not only do you have two cards in your deck giving extra victory points, you also can, uh, you know, heat-seeking missile dro uh, Drogo uh, across the field to kill your opponent's commander so that, and then just retreat back, sit on an objective yourself, and... Uh, and now you have a commander, they don't. You have two cards in your deck that give you extra victory points. So overall, I want to end it by saying Targaryens are an amazing faction. There's only a handful of things that I kind of have a problem with. Mostly it's just the, the expert duelist on a, on a cavalry attachment um, and... Uh, the extra victory point cards. I'm sure if like they're dead set on having the extra victory point cards, um, you could, with enough tinkering, you could make them uh, be completely fair. But there's too uh, currently there's too many corner cases that uh, provide the opportunity for just auto victory points, which I don't think is is what they intended. I think from the way the cards are worded and the stipulations, it was meant to be more of a, a high risk, high reward. Uh, but instead, um, if you just wait, it's no risk, all the reward. Uh, so we'll have to see kind of what they do there. Uh, Craig, is there anything you wanted to sh close out with, uh, like, just the faction as a whole, not even just necessarily what we talked about uh, in this show? Uh, to, to me, they have replaced the Starks, and I, I was always a Stark player since the game dropped, not because they ended up being a little bit OP, but because that faction fit, fit my play style, speed and maneuvering and hitting hard and then getting back out. And the Targaryens have completely taken over that role now. So I really, I really enjoy playing them. Yeah, I agree. Um, Targary Targaryens have quickly kind of rose on my list. I think I'm just kind of waiting for a little more to come out for them because I like, even though uh, I, I, I listen to, I believe Sunday Slaughter's show where they're talking to uh, 
was it Sunday Slaughter? I, I just know it was Fabio was talking about Targaryens and how you know they each have like their kind of sub uh, you know lists or like their sub uh, army styles with you know you could do like Unsullied, all Unsullied, all Stormcrow, all Dothraki, and so on. Um, mm-hmm. But you can also mix those elements together, which I think is cool. Personally, from like my play style, uh, if I'm playing like casual pickup games, which is obviously you know most of all my games, is that uh, I like to kind of stay more thematic, like competitive, but thematic, and so that kind of reduces um, reduces somewhat of it for me for the Targaryens. So that's why, even though I love the Targaryens and the way they play. Uh, It'd be nice once they come out with maybe like another un- another like two unsullied units or something, uh, and you know maybe some of the other stuff that uh, that the Targaryens um, are going to get to kind of round things out for me. Obviously, they have a lot of options right now, and mixing and matching is super strong too. Uh, you know, just having some unsullied, some Dothraki, you know, throwing some Stormcrows in there to kind of help you with. Some, uh, some cheaper units for, you know, getting those activation count up is definitely great. Um, so it'll, it'll definitely be interesting to see what uh, Targaryens have in store. Obviously, like we mentioned, they they uh, revealed the Targaryen Targaryen Hero Box Two, which is going to be um, four cavalry units, uh, four cavalry models, which will comprise either one uh, combat unit, or uh, they did mention. Uh, that each one in the in the live stream they did mention that each one will have their own attachment card it's kind of similar to lannister hero box 2 which had the king's guard the, the eight models which made up the unit and then uh it also came with the seven attachments and then it came with joffrey as an ncu and as a commander um so it'll be interesting. I'm, I, with that said, now I'm thinking about it. It'll be interesting if we see maybe a Blood Rider commander uh, stack. The reason I say that is because, you know, if the Kingsguard box came with a unit, seven attachments, an NCU, and a commander, it'd be uh, it'd be interesting to if this one only came with uh, one unit and then four attachment cards. So I would not be surprised if. Um, I can never remember all their names, but if like the the head blood rider or like the most you know closest to Drogo, if that even makes sense, or whoever or the strongest got like a commander stack and did something cool. Um, but with that said, we can kind of close it out. Uh, I want to thank everyone for you know listening this far. It was definitely awesome uh, going over the Targaryens. They have so many cool options now because you know for with uh everything going on kind of like the things being released kind of slow at first and kind of trickling in targaryens seem to get their releases so far apart that now finally with the harakars finally coming out uh you have so many options to play so many different things to play uh and you know it I think, uh, you know, Targaryens, I think, are arguably the second best faction out there. Um, now, you could say if you take away the dragons that Lannisters might peak up there and 
take the number two spot, but uh, it would be challenging. So like I said, those extra victory point cards are, those could be key for a lot of victories. Um, but overall, I think Simon did an amazing job with the Targaryens. They're definitely really fun. Uh, they took a lot of the units from 1.6 that just need a little buff, and they get, like, the Screamers, um, and now Screamers. They seem so cost-effective, but to me, they seem fair. Uh, they're still kind of a little on the flimsier, flimsier side, but they're, you know, they're they're right, I think, where they need to be. Um, but... Uh, Again, I want to thank uh, thank you, Craig, for coming on. It was definitely an awesome uh, two-parter uh, show. Definitely can't wait to jump into the neutrals, though. No, Justin's been itching to talk about them, and you know, it just so happened that they ended up being last. But and then it, again, it would also be nice to uh, you know finish out the series of all the 2021 reveals and jump into some other uh, topics. Oh, definitely. I can't wait. Yep. And then for those that uh, are in the area, um, Nationals uh, will be held in, at Family Time Games in Indianapolis. Uh, definitely go check a uh, you know um, event. Let me just double check the date. It is September fourth and fifth. It's a two day event. Um, so. Fourth, uh, Saturday the 4th will be the main event, and then uh, whoever qualifies will be uh, the finals on the Sunday the 5th. But for those that don't qualify, they will still have uh, another side event and other cool stuff going on on the 5th, uh, especially if you decided you wanted to come out. You know, there's some, there's a lot of great hotels right next to Family Time Games that's just walking distance. Uh, which is really nice and lots of great places to eat. Um, and the hotels are very affordable as well. So definitely go check that out. I believe it's only like a $20 entry fee. Uh, some of the Simon brass will be there. Um, I don't know exactly who yet uh, or how many of them, but they'll definitely be there. It's Simon supported. Um, and there's definitely going to be a lot of great stuff there. So definitely go check it out. Uh, I'm going to, I'm still on standby to be uh, sent out to Louisiana. Um, but if I don't end up going, I will definitely be there. I've already bought my ticket. Um, and, you know, it would be awesome to see some of you guys uh, be able to show up. Um, let's see. Uh, and then I wanted to just also remind everyone, you know, Go uh, if you haven't already, go on our Facebook page and like like our page there. We do give a uh, do a giveaway for every hundred likes we get. We do a, a random giveaway. Uh, the winner gets a unit box of their choice, and uh, for once we hit a thousand, um, we're going to give away a starter box of the winner's choice. So definitely, you know, share out the show wherever you can. Um, yeah. Sometimes I feel like I have to mention it again. You know, we have so many uh, platforms that we upload our show to. You can listen to us on any of them because I know there are a bunch of people out like how how they have to listen to it through there. Uh, you can listen through it, uh, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Podtail, Owltail, Podbay, and TuneIn. So definitely go check out any of those. And like I said uh, before, 
if there's a platform that you listen to a bunch of stuff on that we are not on, you know, send us a, a message and we'll definitely uh, we'll sign up and we'll have our stuff ported to, to that new site. Um, that is by far the best way you can kind of show your support for us. If you like our content, you know, uh, I know some people have asked, you know, if we have a Patreon, they want to, like, help us out there. But simply just, you know, listen to our episodes and share us out wherever you can, you know, and support us that way. And, uh, you know, the more we grow, the more we'll know that you guys, uh, you know, kind of love what we do because we do this for you guys. Um, that's why we're still going. Uh, we're at like 90-something episodes. It would be awesome once we hit that 100. We'll probably do a, a special thing for the 100th uh, episode. So with that said, again, thank you, Craig. Thank you all, and then thank you all for listening. This is the Small Council Radio, and it is dismissed.